I just want to say, first of all, I travel the world. I don't think in my life I've been in a greater service than we've had already today. I've never had anything like it in my life. And it's got your footprints all over it. I think it's amazing how you've made the transition uh, from what you were on the staff all those years, and now I just watched you today, almost said something to your wife. I mean, you've, it, you are amazing, and I, you've, don't you ever underestimate that. But I, I'm confident this is going somewhere. Yeah, well, I've got two questions. Two. First of all, who's your hairdresser? And I have a second question. You know, this is a mystery to me. Yes. I look at you. And I look at Becky. I look at you. Yes. You ugly thing. How did you get her? It was my hairdresser that did it. Your pastors kindly invited me to bring books. Uh, our son TR is with us. I'm RT, Right Theology. Uh, TR, Totally Reformed. And he handles the books. I honestly can't remember when, whether when I was here before, the book Holy Fire was out. If it was, you know, uh, forgive me for this. You perhaps know about John MacArthur, leading evangelical, wrote a book called Strange Fire, which makes fun of all charismatics, Pentecostals, uh, says all of that ceased in the days of the earliest church. He's dead wrong, and my book, Holy Fire, refutes this position. Um, 30 charismatic leaders have endorsed it. Uh, Jack Hayford, probably the most respected Pentecostal charismatic in the world, has written a 13-page forward. And uh, uh, so we did bring these, uh, but I couldn't remember if we had them before. Uh, my latest book, just out uh, days ago, the, the print is still wet. Um, and it's called, It Ain't Over Till It's Over. And guess who endorsed it? Yogi Berra. Yes, a picture of Yogi and me on the back cover, and uh, the book is about, well, I'll have to say, I originally conceived of the idea of writing this book because it would come out with my 80th birthday, which was uh, two or three weeks ago, and I wanted to write a book on finishing well. Uh, but the book has since been ex extended and expanded uh, to encourage you not to give up in prayer, in believing for miracles, for the salvation of your loved ones. And so it ain't over till it's over. Don't give up. And I'll have more about that to say this evening. Now, uh, Holy Fire is listed for $16. It ain't over for $15. Uh, TR and I are 
getting rid of these, everything is $10. Everything. Now I've got wonderful news. I don't know why I'm so good to you. <laughs> you can take either of these books to any Starbucks in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And actually, as of yesterday, I've been told it extends to the whole state of Texas. If you go up to any Starbucks, put in your order, and then show them a signed copy of my, you've got to have my signature here. Give it to them, and then give them $3.95, they'll give you a cappuccino. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that old joke. <laughs> I say it's a joke. I've had people, they didn't get it, and they actually took it to, to, to <laughs> Starbucks. What I have decided to do this morning, this is not what I planned. You'd ask me yesterday. I wouldn't have thought I was going to do this. I believe it's right. Um, what I will do this morning is to speak on the subject of finishing well. It's the last 10 pages of my book. It's all there. But I felt for some reason you needed it. Not that anybody's going to go to heaven in the next two weeks, but I think it's a relevant message. Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'll read verses 6 through 8. The words of the Apostle Paul, uh, his last epistle, are uh, written days, maybe weeks, but in a very short period of time, he knew that he was going to be get the summons and he would be beheaded. We've heard a lot about being, people being beheaded. Well, the Apostle Paul was beheaded. And he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me in that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to be upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be received and applied as you intend. Upon my tongue that I will be cleansed, that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said, 
that this will be a life-changing word. And for all I know, for someone who needs this, and it's coming just in the nick of time, may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's not how you start that's important, but how you finish. King Saul in the Old Testament had a brilliant beginning, but he ended so tragically. As a matter of fact, in these last days, his words were, God is departed from me and answers me no more. And he said, just before he committed suicide, I have played the fool. His tragic end had begun by putting himself in a place where he went right against Holy Scripture. And what's interesting about King Saul, he's one of two men who built monuments to themselves. Did you know there are two men in the Old Testament that while they were alive, built monuments to themselves and both ended tragically in utter failure. And so those who have monuments uh, don't necessarily end well, even if people praise them at the time. Now, the best definition I can think of for finishing well is just to quote what Paul said, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. That means being right with God at the time of your death. Now, there are two levels of finishing well. Level one is to know that you're saved and you will go to heaven and not to hell when you die. The other level refers to the Christian, the Christian who has come into their inheritance. All Christians are called to come into his or her inheritance. Some do, some don't. Those who do will have a reward at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm talking about Christians now. But let me for a moment go back to the first level, the main thing, and that is, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? And if you were to stand before God and He were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And I'm going to ask you for a moment not to think of anyone else, but to remember in that day, when you stand before God, you won't have anybody coaching you to tell you what to say. The peer pressure, those people that you've wanted to impress, uh, that will mean nothing to you then. And it's just you standing before God, and you will. And if he were to ask you, he might. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Would you in your mind right now, suppose you had a sheet of paper that was passed out to you as you came in. I want you to go along with me. 
in your mind, write on that sheet of paper your words, knowing that what you say will tell the difference between whether you go to heaven or hell when you die. But now to this other level. We're talking about the Christian. The one who has been obedient right to the end. And 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, those who have added to their faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, patience godliness, will have a rich welcome into the kingdom. Now, something that this may be old hat to you and maybe you didn't know this. In 55 AD, the Apostle Paul was not sure that he would have a reward in heaven. In fact, here's the way he put it in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27. He said, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's not talking about whether he's saved. He knows he's saved. He's not talking about whether he's going to make it to heaven. He knows he will make it to heaven. But we're talking about that inheritance. The word inheritance can be used interchangeably with prize, crown, reward. And in the context of 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says in verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He says run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, like the Olympics, they go into strict training. They get it to get a crown that will not last. But we get it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. And this is when he says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that I, having preached to others, will not myself be disqualified for this prize. So that was written in around 55 AD. He's not sure then that he would get the prize. But the passage that I have just read earlier is written in 65 AD, thereabouts, just before he's going to get the summons to go to have his head sawed off. He can there say, I've got it now. There's no doubt. He said, I, I've kept the faith. There's in store for me the crown of righteousness. And so that's the highest level of finishing well. I would like to think that before this service is over, everybody here will know that at the first level, you're going to go to heaven. But that at this higher level, as a Christian, you may know, too, that you will get the crown. Well, King David finished well. But there was a time in his life that had he died, right after he committed adultery, and then murdered to cover it up, he would not have finished well. But God gave him a second chance. And David finished well. And perhaps there may be someone here that you have fallen and you think it's over for you. But it ain't over till it's over. And you still might, like David, 
know that you are finishing well. Well, I want now to give some principles. How to know that you will finish well. I've got principles now that I'm going to lay before you, and I can guarantee, follow these, and you will finish well. Principle number one, put yourself under Holy Scripture. Now, this is what King Saul, who did not finish well, did not do. There was a time, it comes out in 1 Samuel 13, where he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and offer the burnt offerings. Because Samuel was qualified, King Saul wasn't. For some reason, Samuel was held up. King Saul says, bring me the burnt offerings. Someone should have said, your majesty, sir, with deepest respect, I don't think you're supposed to do that. His reply would be, I'm king, aren't I? Don't tell me what I can't do. Bring me the burnt offerings. And he did. Knowing right then he's going against Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And when he finished doing it, Samuel turns up and says, what have you done? And in that moment, King Saul became yesterday's man. The irony is, he lived for another 20 years. Another 20 years. But the whole time, the anointing of the Holy Spirit had been lifted from him. And he goes from bad to worse. It is so sad. Now what we're talking about is putting yourself under Scripture. This is what King Saul wouldn't do. Now here's a little Greek lesson for you. Very simple. There are two Greek words translated word in the New Testament. One is logos, one is rhema. Now, you don't want to push the distinction too far because sometimes the words are used interchangeably, but generally speaking, logos, the word, meaning Holy Scripture. Rhema, meaning what we would call sometimes word of knowledge or prophetic word. Now, there's a lot of interest in some circles for a rhema word. I remember watching a television program and the preacher said, don't turn that dial. I've got a rhema word for you. Is that better? Well, that's what people want. You see, logos, that refers to scripture. Getting to know God's word. It's a long time deal. If you really want to know God and the Holy Spirit, get on good terms with the author. What I hold here in my hand is the Holy Spirit's greatest product. He wrote it. He hasn't changed in his opinion. And if you want to get on good terms with the Holy Spirit, get to know his word. But you see, there are those today that are in such a hurry. It's like going to McDonald's or Burger King. They want something right now and... It is no sign of spirituality that you're wanting a rhema word. What to do? Should I marry this person? Should I take this vacation? Should I take this job? Listen, if you chase after a rhema word, you'll probably never get it. But get to know the Logos, and God will give you a rhema word when you need it. How to finish well? Well, 
Put yourself totally under Holy Scripture and don't for one minute say, well, I'm the exception. You see, that's what King Saul thought. He thought as king, he could be an exception. I have to tell you, God won't bend the rules for anyone. We are all under him. Rule number two, be accountable to reliable people. You need to be accountable to people. You ought to have three or four people around you that know where you are at any moment, who aren't afraid to tell you what you need to know, who will say, what is it like between you and your wife? I've got an account accountability group I'm a part of. These men are not afraid of me. RT, how is it with you and Louise? What's going on in your personal life? I want them to know wherever I am at any moment. Let me give you the famous last words of yesterday's man. You ready for this? I'm accountable to God. Listen, you're not that spiritual. <laughs> to prove that you're accountable to God, you will be accountable to people who will say, you can't do that. This is wrong. I remember... A well-known prophetic man. Man, I could give you his name. I won't. You know him. He wanted to be a member of Westminster Chapel. This is when I was minister in London. And rightly or wrongly, perhaps wrongly, we bent the rules and let him in. I told him, well, you don't live in London. Why should you be a member here? He said, well, Billy Graham doesn't live in Dallas. And he's a member of First Baptist Church. Why can't I live where I live and be a member of Westminster Chapel? Because I travel all over the world. I said, well, you need to attend here for six months. He said, well, if I listen to six months of your tapes. And uh, we let him in. As soon as he got what he wanted, he stopped answering my calls. I couldn't find out where he was doing, where he was. When I finally caught up with him, I said, something's wrong. I don't know what. But if you're not careful, you're going to become yesterday's man. A couple years later, I can almost take you to the spot in Terminal B in DFW where a friend of mine said, have you heard about so-and-so? No, what do you mean? You don't know? No. He said he's had a moral freefall. Turns out the man was living in homosexuality. I had no idea. Also, had become an alcoholic. I had no idea. He wouldn't be accountable. Nobody knew what was going on in his private life. You see, one day every secret will be, secret will be revealed. Far better that your secrets are unveiled now. Get those around you. Proof number three. Be squeaky clean when it comes to finances. When it comes to money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Amen. Be willing to let anybody look at your finances, your use of money. That doesn't mean you have to tell them how much you owe or how much you make or how rich you are, but that they could scrutinize the way you spend it to know what is coming in and how you're using it. I wish that TV evangelists would be squeaky clean with money, but nobody knows. 
where it goes. And they continue to deceive people by millions who are told if they give to this ministry, God's going to bless you. You'll be arriving, driving a Rolls Royce in six months and the people who believe that. And while the, those who take it in, living in mansions, look, don't let that happen to you. And remember, too, that the tithe is the Lord's. And be generous toward God. I have a, a message on tithing. Wherever I've preached it in the world, the income goes up 30% and stays up for two years. I can tell you now, you cannot outgive the Lord. There'll be no tithing in heaven. When you stand before God, you will not regret what you gave to Him. Be squeaky clean concerning your money and your giving. Principle number four, maintain sexual purity. Billy Graham said some time ago, it seems that the devil gets 75% of God's best people through sexual temptation. I look back over the years. I'm now 80. I've concluded that you cannot be too careful when it comes to sexual purity. And never forget that when Jesus gave his interpretation of the law in the Sermon on the Mount, when it came to murder, when you hate, you've committed murder. When it comes to adultery, if you lust, you've committed adultery. It put a higher level on the law than anybody ever thought about. We're now talking about coming into your inheritance, winning the prize, being sexually pure. This is part of it. I can tell you now, God won't bend the rules for anybody. When you're giving in to lust, that rules out all pornography. All of it. And those here today who may be addicted to pornography, uh, let me tell you something. This will destroy you and your marriage. And if, maybe, there's someone in this place, as I speak, you are in the middle of an affair. And there's someone here, you think about going into an affair. Would you like a rhema word? I've got it. Are you ready? Stop it! Now! In the name of God, stop it. It's only a matter of time that you would give a thousand worlds to turn the clock back to this moment. Principle number five. Come to terms with jealousy when you're threatened by another person's gifting, Profile, finances, their anointing, when you're threatened by this. You see, King Saul was thrilled when David killed Goliath. And King Saul put, put David as head of any, uh, one of the ranks in the army. He was an officer overnight. 
He was so thrilled with young David until the women began to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Oh dear. People can be so insensitive. And the moment Saul heard that, he was never to be the same again. It was part of being yesterday's man. He became consumed with jealousy. Became more worried about the threat of young David than the Philistines, the enemy of Israel. And jealousy can destroy you. Now, I'm not wanting to give anybody a guilt trip today. We've all got this problem. But if you're not careful, if it gets out of hand, it will ruin you and bring you to a psychological nervous breakdown. All because you can't bear the thought that somebody else would have what you don't have. Principle number six. Be willing not to get the credit for what you do. Is it important to you that everybody thinks you're marvelous and they clap when you do something great? Or do you need to make sure if you do something, you give a great contribution to the church, make sure that everybody knows about it? have a plaque on the wall, have a room named after you? My life verse is John 5.44. The verse I use when I sign books is Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. My life verse is really John 5.44, but Years ago, when I started signing John 5.44 to my book, I had so many people come back, oh, were you telling me something? Am I doing something wrong? Because it says, how can you believe who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? And it got everybody upset, so I don't sign John 5.44. <laughs> but that's the verse. Where you come to the place when you genuinely want the praise of God and you don't care what they think. You come to that place, just maybe, God will begin to use you. Be willing not to get the credit for what you do. Principle number seven, always keep your word. When there is transparent integrity, and it's just all over your face, and people that know you better and better, they find out you're the real deal. Integrity. Something that is almost perished from the earth. And you see, this was the problem with King Saul. He promised he would stop chasing after David, and, if you can believe it, even swore an oath to his son, Jonathan, that he would stop trying to kill David. Broke it before sundown. Because once the anointing is lifted, you're left to yourself. This is what I fear for America. I can tell you now, it breaks my heart. My deepest fear for America 
is that God is taking his hand off of us. I pray it's not true. I'm so afraid that we've just said, God, we don't want you. And at some time in the past, I don't know when, God said, okay, we ought to go on bended knee. Please, God, give us another chance. I don't want him to take his hand off me. And one thing that is so important when you have integrity and honesty, you keep your word. Principle number eight. Live in total forgiveness. Now, I've been reminded since I've been here that when I was here before, uh, 18 months ago, I preached my message on total forgiveness. It crossed my mind I could preach the same sermon this morning. It would do you no harm. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I'll quickly give you the points. How to know that you've totally forgiven. One, you don't tell anybody what they did. You just tell it to God. See, the first thing we want to do when somebody's hurt us or betrayed us, lied about us, you want to get on the phone and tell what they did. Stop it. You might need to tell one other person for therapeutic reasons. And if it's a crime, that needs to be reported to the authorities. But the real reason we tell it is because we want somebody else to get what's coming to them. When God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Just pour your complaint out to the Lord. He gets glory that way. Psalm 142, verse 2. Tell the Lord. He can handle it. Don't tell anybody. If you want a real victory, principle number two with total forgiveness, you don't let them be afraid of you. Don't let them feel intimidated. Put them at ease. Put them at ease. Third, you don't let them feel guilty. You don't accuse them. You don't lay a guilt trip on them. And principle number four, you let them save face instead of rubbing their noses in it. You cover for them. Dale Carnegie in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, said, let the other person save face. That means you protect them from their dark secret. Principle number six, you don't tell what you know about another person that could destroy them. Chances are you know something about someone. If you were to reveal it, would destroy them. God knows a lot about you. He knows how to destroy you. How would you like everything knowable about you to be flashed on this screen for everybody to see? You see, we've all got skeletons in the cupboard. Thank God the blood of Jesus washed away all sin, and nobody will, not, will ever know. But if you tell what you know, it goes right against the principle that God has forgiven you. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. It's like when your physician gives you a pill, says you have to take this the rest of your life. I take Nexium every morning, acid reflux. Doctor said, you'll never get better. Just take it every day. With total forgiveness, it's not enough to have done it 18 months ago. You need to do it every day, 
every week and maybe five years later still having to do it but that's where the anointing kicks in that's where the blessing of God don't rob yourself of the blessing of the Holy Spirit by giving up praying for those who've hurt you and principle number seven you bless them you bless them in that you actually ask God to bless them yes pray for your enemy you say I can, can't do that see most of us just say Heavenly Father I commit them to thee you're hoping God will kill them <laughs> ask God to bless them I've got an enemy's prayer list I do nobody here is on it yet but you know what I would like to think when I get to heaven that my prayer for an enemy who was out to destroy me and tried was actually kept from trouble because God heard my prayer he won't know until we get to heaven I prayed for him to think that in heaven God would say you might like to know our team he prayed for you I want to wait till then no one will ever know who's being prayed for but since I started doing that I can't begin to tell you the insight I get into scripture things the Lord shows me it's not my education it's not my brain live in total forgiveness principle number nine by the way there are ten so this sermon's getting close to the end <laughs> principle number nine be a thankful person I've written a book I don't know if we brought it or not just say thanks God loves gratitude he hates ingratitude gratitude must be taught and I had my own wake-up call this doesn't happen to me every day but I was preaching years ago uh, in 1986 in April I know that because I looked in my diary to get the right time because I preached on Philippians 4 6 do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving make your requests known to God this only happened to me once in 25 years in London but as I preached that day I was so convicted of my lack of thankfulness to God and I, I had a little thing about it in my notes but for some reason God just applied that to me and I thought Lord help me to get this sermon over so when I get into my vestry I'll fall on my knees and repent and I made a vow that day and it's a vow that I have kept to be a thankful man I keep a journal we were talking about it yesterday I can tell you where I was November the 3rd 1992 at 11 o'clock in the morning what I do now I go through my journal and thank the Lord for everything of yesterday this morning I thank the Lord TR and I safe traveling from Nashville to Fort Worth Pastor Dan lovely time 
We went all over Fort Worth looking for a place to eat. Wherever we go, there'd be long queues. And we finally found a lovely barbecue place. Thank the Lord for the nice food. Good sleep last night. Do you know how long it takes to thank the Lord for four or five things the day before? About 20 seconds. But in those days, when I preached that sermon, it was though the Lord had said to me, you haven't thanked me for the best things I've done for you. I'm telling you, he said, here you are, you're from Kentucky, and you are the minister of Westminster Chapel. Are you thankful for that? Well, yes. Well, you haven't told me. Well, Lord, you know, you know I'm thankful. And he said, you remember when you first came to England, you're accepted at Oxford University, and all these bright students around you, and some of them were failing right, left, and center, and you said, you couldn't possibly get through. You're from Kentucky. Do you know, I lived, (laughs) this will show you, you really know how old I am now. I was brought up when there were only 48 states. And in those days in Kentucky, where I was born, we had a slogan, thank God for Arkansas. (laughs) That's because Kentucky was 47th in educational standards. Thank God for Arkansas. Last month, I get a bulletin every a month from Mayo Clinic, and Mayo Clinic had a section on being thankful. I'm not talking about the New Testament, Jesus teaching. They were just saying they found out that thankful people live longer. But you see, this is what we're supposed to be. I would urge you do not go to sleep at night unless you can think of three things of that day you're thankful for. And you pause, you'll think of more than three. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And finally, maintain a strong personal prayer life. How much do you pray? There'll be no praying in heaven. When you stand before God, you may have many regrets how you spent your time. The average church leader in America spends four minutes a day in their quiet time. Martin Luther, two hours a day. John Wesley, two hours a day. Typical church leader today, four minutes a day. You wonder why the church is powerless. You need a Bible reading plan. A plan that will take you through the Bible in a year. You can go online and get one. One One-year Bible reading plan. To know Holy Scripture. And the way you get to know God's ways is when you spend time with Him. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. What if God spells your love for Him, T-I-M-E? Oh, R-T, I pray all the time. That's not good enough. He wants you to take time. I urge members of Westminster Chapel 30 minutes a day. 
I addressed 100 London ministers just before retiring to give God at least an hour a day. How much do you pray? Well, my sermon is over. Can I go back to the two questions I asked at the beginning? Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And if you were to stand before God and he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Suppose I had all of you write it on a sheet of paper and you put your answer down, pass it to the end of the road, ushers collect them, and I've got uh, six, seven hundred sheets of paper. Uh, if your answers are typical, would you like to hear some of them? Here's one that says, well, I believe I'll get to heaven. Uh, I've lived, lived a good life. Uh, I would say I believe you, but that won't get you to heaven. Well, there's another one. I was brought up in a Christian home. That just means you had a head start. Here's another. I was baptized. I'm sorry, that won't save you. Here's another. Well, I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. <laughs> you, my friend, are lost as a goose. Here's another one. I've kept the Ten Commandments. Well, you're a liar for one thing. Here's another, I've lived by the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. <laughs> if on that sheet of paper you wrote anything other than trusting the blood of Jesus, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. I don't care who you are. You say, well, RT, I've done my best. That isn't even close. Well, what more can you do, RT? You do your best. You don't get it. You see, your best will always come short of the glory of God because we're sinners. And this is why God sent His Son into the world 2,000 years ago who did everything for you. He was circumcised the eighth day. His parents kept the law for Him until He was of age, and then He was even baptized for you. This is the reason you don't have to be baptized to get to heaven. Jesus was baptized for you. John the Baptist said, no, no, you baptized me. Jesus said, to fulfill righteousness. He kept the law for you. And the moment you give up any hope in your good works, transfer your trust to what Jesus did for you, do you know what happens? Everything Jesus did is put to your credit as though you did it. It's called imputed righteousness. This is the gospel in a word. And that's why if you wrote anything other than trusting the death of Jesus, I wouldn't be in your shoes for anything. But now it's two minutes to 12, nearly finished. I wonder if you put the wrong answer down, would you be willing to pray this prayer right now, whoever you are? Not out loud. Say it in your heart. God will see you. If you can say this and mean it. You ready? Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Tell him. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I know I cannot save myself by my good works. 
I welcome your Holy Spirit. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Is it possible that anybody here prayed that prayer? Now, chances are dozens of you just prayed it because you just did it. If, however, you've never prayed that prayer before and you've never publicly confessed him after praying that prayer, in about 30 seconds from now, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. You say, in front of all this crowd, mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of scary. They'll know I needed to pray that prayer. That's right, but the issue here is whether you want the honor that comes from people or the honor that comes from God. And if you prayed that prayer, in 15 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, and that will be confessing him. Five, four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Remain standing. Remain standing. You can stop clapping, but remain standing. Stop clapping, but remain standing. Well done, you, that you stood. Now, of those that are standing in the balcony and here below, there are two categories. One, you were saved before today. But when you heard the gospel clarified, it rang a bell and you wanted to stand. And you did the right thing. But there are those, you've never done anything like this before. This is new to you. And this is your first time to pray a prayer like that and trust only the death of Jesus. The Bible says that you've just been born again. So for you, I say, happy birthday. God bless you. You may be seated.